Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. All right, we're back at it this morning. Romans, uh, God's power to transform anyone. Okay, so let's go to Romans chapter 7. You can head that there. That's where we're going to go. But I want to start with a very bold statement. Um, and like, like the, my kids say around the house sometimes, bold take, bold take. And then they just, they're, just, they're trying to start an argument. But I'm not trying to start an argument. <clears throat> I just happen to know this is true. I'm going to, I know your biggest problem. I know your biggest problem. It's not the devil. It's not the world. It's you. <laughs> it's yourself. <laughs> you are your own worst enemy. I am my own worst enemy. So today we're going to look at the famous passage in Romans chapter 7 here where Paul opens up and he shares how he was his own worst enemy. And we feel his pain right along with him. You cannot read this passage without totally identifying with exactly what he's saying. Because his great struggle with sin is exactly like our great struggle with sin each and every day. Wait, the apostle deals with sin? Yes. <laughs> he's tempted to sin? Yes. Jesus himself was tempted to sin. He didn't have a flesh like we do. Jesus didn't. But, uh, but certainly, Jesus did not sin. But, but we all face sin. Now, real quick, remember what we've already learned in Romans. We've already learned that all people are born sinners. But when we trust in Jesus Christ, we put our faith in him, there's three things that happen. Uh, a lot of them, more than three, but we've already focused on these three. One is that the penalty of your sin is broken, which means... Praise the Lord, you are justified. Righteousness comes in. God will not condemn you to hell. You have God's righteousness on your account. You have a settled home in heaven. You are justified. And that is a blessed, blessed thing. But even though there's the penalty, the penalty of sin is broken, you've still got to deal with sin here. The penalty of sin is broken. The power of sin is broken. That means the chains of slavery to sin are, are gone. Jesus purchased you, and you no longer have to obey sin. I no longer have to obey sin, no, no longer have to serve sin. I have the power to overcome it. So the power is broken. The, uh, the penalty of sin is, is broken. But then there's one more, and that is the presence of sin, we could call it. And the presence of sin, the fact that it's just with us right now, has yet to be removed. But I will say this, that the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, all of that will uh, one day remove even the presence of sin. It's when we go to heaven, and that's called glorification here in the Bible. And so that day is coming, but until then, we live here, and the presence of sin is with us. But, and so until then, each and every day of our lives, we have to deal with sin. You have to deal with sin. I have to deal with sin. <clears throat> 
I was talking to a, just a good Christian man. Uh, he was in, at the time, he was in his 80s or 90s. And um, he was confessing his, some of the bad thoughts he'd been having. And I was sitting there listening to him, and I was so discouraged. <laughs> I thought, <clears throat> when you get up, and this is a good man, and I thought, when you get up to be that age, you're not done with temptation? I thought, like, it's, you know, temptation doesn't bother you anymore. You're just past that. And, uh, you know, I look at that, and I, I'm only halfway there. <laughs> I, got, I got a long ways to go. But that's the point here, and that's the point Paul is going to make. This battle is not over until the presence of sin is gone. And that day is coming. Jesus already secured that. We will be glorified one day, but it's just not here yet. And even the man who some call the greatest Christian who ever lived, the Apostle Paul, writes that he feels a pull to sin. So if, if that's the case, there's not much hope for us. There is a classic book published in 1886. It's called uh, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde written by Robert Louis Stevenson. It's a short little book, but it's very fascinating. You probably all know the basic idea. The key character in the book is Dr. Jekyll. And from a young age, Dr. Jekyll is frustrated by the feeling inside of him that he, he always wants to do bad things. And it's hindering the good that he wants to do, the good side of him. So as a chemist, he comes up with this potion that can separate the two parts of himself. And the good one is Dr. Jekyll, and, and that's, that's who is out and does things by day. But then the other side of him, this, this uh, other half, is called Mr. Hyde, and Mr. Hyde comes out at nighttime. The word Hyde comes from the word hidden or hideout, or hideous, excuse me. So since now they're separate, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, he can, they can live without hindering the other. They can just go uh, do full bore what they want to do. The problem is that Dr. Jekyll finds that without any restraint, the Mr. Hyde part of himself is 10 times worse than he ever thought he would be. He thought he would be bad. He knew he was bad, but then it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse until he actually becomes a murderer and he murders somebody. And he, what he says in the book is his every act and thought centered on self. And that's just exactly what he is describing is sin. He is describing us if we were left to our own devices. If there was no restraint in our life, we would be out of control. And things in our life would spiral out of control way more, way more than we thought that they could. Robert Stevenson's words through De Dr. Jekyll are this, listen, quote, <clears throat> Man is truly not one, but two. He said, it's not that I was a hypocrite. Both sides were sincere. He called himself an incongruous compound. <laughs> See, what many don't know about this book, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, is that the author was a very religious man, probably a believer. And many think that Romans chapter 7 was his inspiration for this story. And when you read Romans 7, you can't help but see how all of that fits together. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read Romans 7, 14 through 25. I'm just going to read through it, and then we're going to take it verse by verse here. Here's what the Holy Spirit says through the Apostle Paul. Romans 7 and verse 14. For we, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. 
For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Are you confused yet? (laughs) For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Okay, so Paul is not schizophrenic here, okay? He's just describing the reality that we all know that we have in serving God in this life down here. And it's strangely comforting when he writes this to know that Paul's a little messed up too. But, but the important thing is here that, is that we do, he was not content to stay in this mind of the flesh. He was not content to give up and stop fighting sin. So that's where we're gonna go. That's where we're gonna go here. So let's break down what he says, Romans chapter seven, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. What does this mean? Now, we talked about this verse a little bit last week. God's law is spiritual. Now, this means that it was given by the Holy Spirit, meaning it comes from God. It is the expression, God's law is the expression of the nature of God. It's in line with who he is. It also means that the law's purpose is spiritual. It doesn't establish what is right and wrong just outwardly, God's law does work on our spirits also, uh, inside of us, exposing uh, what we try to brush under the rug. And anybody who reads God's law, anybody who reads God's moral law knows that it pricks our hearts. It has a way of digging deep and separating uh, right from wrong. God's law is spiritual. And that is, it is not fleshly at all. It's also, I think, another meaning. It's spiritual, it's perfect. But but Paul says, but I, that is me, I am carnal. I'm different from that. God's law is the good thing. We don't ever blame God's law for anything. It comes from God, it's perfect. But I am the one with the problem. I am carnal, I am fleshly, I am made of flesh. Now this doesn't just mean that we have skin and bones. It means that we are naturally given to the desires of, of, the, of self. There's a part of us, part of you, part of me, that has nothing good in it. Even after salvation, the flesh always wants its way. It's the old man. It's the who we were before we were saved, and it always wants its own way. We could say this in several different ways here. We could give all kinds of definitions, but here's one good definition I read, and that is, the flesh is my natural tendency to please myself any way I see fit. Let me say that again. It's my natural tendency to please myself 
any way I see fit. Now we can't get rid of this flesh. It's the Mr. Hyde in all of us. And it never improves. The, the flesh part of us is not going to get better. We just have to learn not to obey it. And that's how this is all going to work and we're gonna see that especially next week. Now as this verse says, our flesh is sold under sin. Now there's some debate here now in, among, in this passage and the rest of this passage in Romans chapter seven. They're among good Bible teachers who think that Paul is talking about now his old life in Christ. He's talking about an unsaved person. Some of those, but not the majority, think that the whole passage is speaking about an unbeliever. But the majority think this is talking about Paul currently in, as a believer. And I think there's just too many reasons uh, for me not to think that it, this is an unbeliever. So I believe it is talking about, he's talking about a believer. Like the fact that everything Paul writes here in, this, in the rest of this chapter is in the present tense. It's what he's currently dealing with. And he speaks of the desire to do right and, and then delighting in the law of God as we saw. That's not usually a description of an unsaved person. They don't delight in the law of God. So when we see this term, sold under sin, it's not referring to him as an unsaved person. It's more likely meaning that it's the fleshly part of him that is just incapable of being perfect. He is There's a part of us that is the Mr. Hyde part that cannot do right, doesn't want to do right. And it's going to be like that all the way through our life, and sin is inevitable. <clears throat> But really, as I think about this, when, I, when you really start to read, and I've poured over this, and I really put a lot of thought into this, is this talking about an unsaved person or a saved person? And I got to the conclusion in my mind that really it's both in many ways. And maybe God left it like that so we would understand that it's both. Because there's a struggle with sin even before we're saved. Even before we're saved, we know we shouldn't do certain things, and yet we do them. But see, we are a slave to those things, and we have to do them. But see, when we get saved, we're still fighting sin, but it's in a whole new way. Now we fight sin from a victorious standpoint. We already know we have the eternal victory. We know we have the power over sin, but there is still a struggle, and it's always gonna be there. So whatever the case, Paul goes on then to explain his baffling internal struggle that he's going with, or go, going through. Verse 15, for that which I do, I allow not. Now the word allow there is the old English word, but it means understand. So for that which I do, I understand not. <laughs> he said, I don't know, I don't understand this whole thing. But here's the deal, I, here's the thing I don't understand. For what I would, that is what I want to do, I, I do not. And, and what I hate doing, I do. That's what he's saying. Paul doesn't get it. He can't understand what's going on inside of him, this battle. And I don't think there is a Christian in the world who wouldn't say, yes, Paul, same. <laughs> I feel the same thing. I don't get it. <clears throat> it's so relatable here. There are times I don't do what I want to do, and I do what I hate doing. Why? What is wrong with me? Why am I so messed up? You know, we yell at our kids. <laughs> we covet what other people have. We choose ourselves over our spouse. We think bad thoughts about our boss. We lust, we lie, we disobey, we're stingy, we don't pray, we don't witness, we don't inconvenience ourselves to serve others. Why are we so self-focused? Have you ever asked yourself that? What is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? 
Well, here's the answer. I don't know. That's what Paul says. I don't understand. Why? Why do I do this? It's like asking your kids, why did you do that? Why did you just do that? Why did you just hit your sister? They don't know. (laughs) That was a silly question. And here's the funny thing. Paul is saying, I don't understand. So even when you get older, I I still don't know why. Think about it. If I followed you around every single day, and then I asked you, when you did something, why did you do that? Why did you just do that? You would say, I don't know. I don't know why I did that. I'm just, I don't know. I've said things to my wife. I've said things to my kids. And then I've thought, why did I say that? Why? All this time in the Bible I've spent and listening to good teaching and I'm still stupid. Then Paul says in verse 16, if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. See, when I do what I don't want to do, I'm still consenting that the law is good. I'm just not doing what I know is good. <laughs> it's very much, we, again, we do not blame the law. The law is very good. It exposes what's going on. So I do not blame it. It's good. It's me that has the problem. And every time I have that desire to do the right thing, but I don't do it, it's really still agreeing with the law that it's good. Paul clarifies further, verse 17, Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will or to desire or to want is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. This almost sounds like Paul's giving an excuse, doesn't it, for his sinning. Uh, It's not me, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now, some might run with that and say, it's not really me sinning, it's just my flesh. And I've actually heard people use this passage in that kind of a way before. But, and it's, it's, it's such a shame, and they really just don't get this. But, but <laughs> I always think, try telling that to the police officer after you rob a bank. You know, it wasn't me, it was my flesh. It was just, it was sin that dwelleth in me that did that. Listen, Paul is not giving an excuse for himself. He's simply pointing out that there are two parts to himself here. That's what verse 18 then is all about, as he clarifies. The flesh is the part that is always wanting to sin and does not want to serve God and never will. But praise the Lord, that's not the only part of him anymore. There's two parts. There's a new nature inside. And he says, to will or to desire is now present with me. I didn't have that before. Now I have this desire to do the right thing. It comes from God, it's this nature inside of me and I just can't, I can't sin without feeling that prick in my heart and I have this new, new thing in me that wants to just follow the Lord and obey the Lord and obey his laws. He has a new will, he has a new wanter in there. And it's good to see yourself in this light. When it all comes down to it, let me, let me remind all of us that if you're born again, then at the end of the day, you are the new you, not the old you. The old you is still trying to drag you down, but the new you is the real you. That's who who you are. (laughs) And I thank the Lord for that. That is all the grace of God, to make us a new us. You know, apparently Tesla, and I don't know if this is true. I read this. Some of you that know Teslas may know if this is true. But Tesla apparently has a full self-driving software that lets you choose what kind of driver that you want your car to be. 
There are three basic modes, apparently, and one is the assertive mode, the other is the average mode, and the chill mode. <laughs> the assertive mode, it has smaller following distances, it performs more frequent lane changes, doesn't uh, exit passing lanes, and may perform rolling stops. <laughs> average mode has a medium follow distance, may, may still perform rolling stops, and the chill mode is a large follow distance, fewer lane changes, etc., etc. But this reminds me, when I read that, of, of what's going on inside of us as born-again Christians. You and I are in the driver's seat here. We can choose. Do we go back to our, the old mode, to the, the flesh? We can, just, we can decide. Are we going to listen to the flesh? Or are we going to listen to this new man, this new nature? Are we going to follow this way? We go back to the old mode of being assertive and pleasing ourselves, or do we go with the new desire in our heart to please God? That's up to us. When we're lost, we have flesh over us, and we can't come out from under it. We are bound by it. But when, when Jesus comes in, he makes us a new person, and the flesh now takes a back seat. The flesh is still there, it's still with us, it's still linked to us, but we no longer have to obey it. We can, we can say no. So now we have to choose who to submit to. And that's how this works, and that's what Paul is describing. He says in verse 18 that he really wants to always obey God. I want to always obey and do the right thing. But he doesn't know how. How? How, I, I, how to do this? I, I can't find it. I can't see it. The wanter is there, but how to always, 100% of the time, keep my flesh from popping up and pulling me into sin? I just don't know. How can I keep doing the right thing and never go against God's law? How can I always do the good God wants me to do? Now, he is describing the heart of a saved person. Verse 19, for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. See, Paul says he sees this law inside of him that's pulling him to do evil. There are several ways the word law is used in Romans. You have to make sure in context you're understanding it correctly. Especially in chapter 7 here, the word law is used several different ways. But in this case, he's using it in the sense of a rule or a principle or a fact of life, we might say. Like the law of gravity. It's just a fact of life. It is what it is. It's a principle of gravity. So Paul is saying, I have discovered a fact of the Christian life. The good I want to do, I sometimes will not do. And the evil I don't want to do, I will sometimes do. But here, let me just take a step back at this point and say again, if you stop right at this point, and you throw up your hands, and if we throw up our hands and we say, that's it, I guess that's just who we are. We're just gonna sin, we're gonna sin all the time. And if that's how you're taking all of this, then you've mi we've missed the whole point. See, some Christians do that. Ah, oh, the struggle is real, the struggle is real, and I just, what is what it is, and I'm just gonna do these things. And then they stop fighting. And that you're totally missing. Paul is not giving up here. In fact, it's the complete opposite. He is diving in full force into how to stop doing this and how to make sure that he, he comes under the spirit and not the flesh. And that's what he goes on to talk about in Romans chapter eight, and we'll talk more about that next week. 
He's trying to stay away from sin. Look what Paul says in verse 22. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. See, the spirit part of the Christian loves God's law. And if you try to just give up and not go after what God says, then here's <laughs> the, the, the conviction of God will come on you so strong, will come on me so strong, that he just, you will never be happy. You'll never be joyful. It's, it's a horrible thing to be a Christian and to be walking away from God and not doing God's things. See, a Christian here, a person who delights in the law of God, is just eating up the word of God. They go home from church and they're excited to obey and they're excited to see the blessings of God in their life as they walk with the Lord. Verse 23, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. <laughs> On Sunday, you know, I'm so pumped. I go home and I'm so excited to follow the Lord and do what he says. I've just been, been, I've come under the spirit and I'm ready to do it. But by Monday or Tuesday, my flesh rises up and fights against everything good I've determined to do. We distrust God, our hearts become hardened, we start loving the world, we get prideful, we get slothful. And like Paul, we know it's wrong, but we feel captive to this fact of sin in my members. And listen, anybody who's ever tried to overcome a besetting sin in their life in the power of the flesh understands this. It's just a cycle of defeat. <laughs> the uh, late great theologian Tommy Lasorda. <laughs> Tommy Lasorda was a baseball manager for the Los Angeles Dodgers. It's funny what he said. L listen to this. He said, quote, I took a pack of cigarettes from my pocket. I stared at it and said, who's stronger, you or me? <clears throat> the answer was me. I stopped smoking. Then I took a vodka martini and said to it, who's stronger, you or me? Again, the answer was me. So I quit drinking. Then I went on a diet. <laughs> I looked at a big plate of linguine with clam sauce and said, who's stronger, you or me? And a little clam looked up at me and said, I am. <laughs> I can't beat linguine. C.S. <laughs> Lewis said, no man knows how bad he is until he tried, he tried to be good. He's tried to be good. Trying to defeat sin in our own way is an exercise in futility. It will not work. And that's why Paul cries out now in verse 24, O oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Sometimes it feels that way as a as a Christian, if we're trying to fight and doing all of this in the power of the flesh, it feels we're just exhausted, exhausted. The word wretched is more literally wretched through the exhaustion of hard labor. There's a sense of exhaustion in this word wretched. Paul is completely worn out, exhausted from fighting. Inwardly, he's like a boxer after a brutal fight. <coughs> His nose is bloody, his eyes are swollen shut, he can barely stand, he's been fighting sin. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? It's no wonder that we have this word 
in probably the greatest Christian song of all time. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We can all identify with that. We are wretched. And Paul says, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I heard that in a tribe near Tarsus, where Paul was raised as a young person, that they, they had a way of dealing with murderers in a gruesome way. They would shackle a dead body, the dead body of the person that they murdered, to that murderer. And as the corpse would decompose, diseases, of course, would begin to transmit from the dead body into the living body and eventually would kill that living man. You think about that, perhaps that's what was in Paul's mind when he wrote this phrase, body of death. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Charles Spurgeon spoke of this same thing. Here's what he said, quote, it was the custom of ancient tyrants when they wished to put men to the most fearful punishments to tie a dead body to them placing the two back to back, and there was the living man with a dead body closely strapped to him, rotting, putrid, corrupting, and this he must drag around with him wherever he went. Now this is just what the Christian has to do. He has within him the new life. He has a living and undying principle which the Holy Spirit has put within him. But he feels that every day he has to drag about with him this dead body, this body of death, a thing as loathsome, as hideous, as, a, as an abominable to his new life as a dead, stinking carcass would be to a living man. That is what our flesh is. We owe nothing to our flesh. It is just a body of death that wants to pull us down and ruin us. And Paul says correctly here, who shall deliver me? Who shall deliver me from this? He needs a who, not a how. Notice he does not say how. He says who. Be like the wise old owl. Who, who, who will take this body of death off of me someday? Who can help me win this battle against the flesh? Who can redeem my past? Who can help me live righteous and a fruitful life now? Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the who. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Who can help Paul win this battle? Who can do it? Only Jesus, he says. Amen. Only Jesus. If it were not for Jesus, this sin would be his ruin and completely take him to death. It is Jesus who stands between us and complete defeat every single day of our life. Paul can't even say these, this were his name without bursting out in praise here. He says, I thank God. I thank God. It's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The power we need, listen, the power we need to be saved and to live a righteous life all begins and ends with Jesus Christ. Jesus saves me from sin. I think that's what Paul's talking about here. He saves me completely from sin, which means he will forever release this body of death one day when he brings me to heaven. Jesus broke the rule of the flesh over my life right now. I do not have to submit to it. 
and he gives me everything I need now to walk in the spirit. And remember, and we're gonna talk about this more next week, but this is how we overcome the flesh. Galatians, it says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. As we says in Romans chapter eight, eight, verse one, two, he describes a person who is saved as being one who walks not after the flesh, but walks after the spirit. And we'll talk about that more. We can walk in victory by walking in the spirit. But let's remember, it's through Jesus that we have this victory. It's through Jesus, he's the one who helps us overcome things and do all that we need to do to live the way he wants us to live. And to live a way that we thought, we never thought we could live. You know, there's a little boy who wanted to carry a suitcase uh, for daddy from the train station to home. And so his dad said, all right, son, I'll let you carry the suitcase. So... He picked up the suitcase, of course he tried, and it was pretty tough. And so dad allowed him to put his hand on the handle, and then dad put his big hand over his hand, and he carried it home. But when he got home, the little boy said, Mommy, look what I carried home. (laughs) And when we get to heaven, we're going to say, Look, God, what I was able to do on earth. And Jesus will be over there with a little smile, a little smirk on his face, knowing that his hand was the one that was really over our hand the whole time. It was him. Who will help us? Who will deliver us? It's only him. It's his strength. It's it's him. He is the one we need. Let's pray. Lord. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.